We're in John chapter 15. If you uh, have a phone app, break it out. We want you to be following along with us in the Word. It's super important. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one as a gift. So uh, you can uh, uh, raise your hand and, and Toby will bring you a Bible. Uh, again, keep that. If you need it, it's a gift for you. Or just borrow it for today so that you can follow along with us. Um, they're on the back table. And th- so um, I want to start by... You guys already got a little bit of a clue. So... Um, what is Christianity? What, what if I stood at the back door as you guys came in today and I just asked you this real simple question, uh, foundational question about Christianity. What is Christianity? What, 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 would, what would be the answers that I would get? And I guarantee you I would get a lot of different answers, some good, maybe some the one I'm looking for and that I think is the right answer, the one that the video illustrated. But to me, the purest answer is that Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Christianity is, is not a, 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 a bunch of do's and don'ts. I remember the first time I heard a pastor hold his Bible up like this, and he said, this book is not a book of morals. And I thought, how could he say that? What's he talking about? And the more I thought about it, and the more that I, I he's right. And I want to tell you today, and I declare today, this is not a book of morals. This is not a book that you you go to to find out what it's like to be a good person. And you follow the do's and the don'ts and the rules that are listed in them. And then you become a good person. Because guess where you're going to end up? You're going to end up a good person in hell. Because this book is a book of relationship. And this book is a book of knowing Jesus and having intimacy with Jesus. And when you receive and have intimacy with Jesus, guess what happens? These morals that are listed and are written and are recorded in the book, they they naturally become a part of your life. You you naturally want to do them. I want to tell you, you can't go out and tell people, hey, you you, you better stop drinking and cussing and lying and and doing these things um, and and you'll be right with God. Because nobody's going to be able to do it. So again, Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't think there's a better chapter in all the Bible that that illustrates this idea other than John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is my life verse. Not long after that picture where you saw of me right there. um, After that, not long after that, I left for Bible college. And my pastor at the time, Pastor Cliff, he, he he had a relationship with Pastor Gerald and the guys up on the hill. And he recommended that I go up and I check out this little extension campus of the Bible college at Calvary Chapel up in Yucca Valley. And as I, I went up to the Bible college and, you know, about almost two years of being a Christian, maybe 20 months. And, and, and I get there. And, and one of the first things that happened when I was there is we had this really cool guest speaker that was going to come in and he was going to he was going to teach church and he was going to meet during the day privately or just personally with the Bible college and hang out with us. And his name was Joey Baran. Now, that might not mean a lot to anybody today, but um, how about Christian Slater? Anybody ever heard of Christian Slater or not Christian Slater? How about Kelly Slater? Who's the number one surfer in the world and has been for like the last 10 years? You guys are in Utah. What do you care? You, you know who's killed the biggest bucks and, and elk and that kind of stuff probably, right? Like who's the shooting champion? But I'll tell you what, the, the, the king of the world in surfing in 1987 and 1988 was a guy named Joey Baran. He won the Pipeline Classic two years in a row. Now, the Pipeline Classic is the, is the Super Bowl. It's the World Series of Surfing. It happens on the North Shore, on Oahu, in Hawaii, and it is the, the, the big dance for surfing. And this guy was back-to-back 
surfing champion and he was coming to talk to us and it was it was a big deal and and he came and and he shared with us this idea of a relationship with christ through john chapter 15 and now what is my favorite from that day on my favorite verse my life verse john 15 and 4 and 5 which just it describes a, a relationship with jesus through abiding in him and and what the bible talks about And so we're going to break it down today. I want to go through it with you guys verse by verse. I want to catch it in context so you read it. But but the whole uh, premise today is basically going to be two words that we're going to find in John chapter 15. The first one is abide. Everybody say abide. Abide. I liked it so much I tattooed it on my arm. And then the second one is fruit. Are you guys awake today? I'm starting to wonder. What do I need to do? What do I need to do up in here? Am I just not preaching it or what? Just pretend for me, please. Like 20 minutes and then you guys can go home or back to whatever you take your long faces to. Okay. So everybody say real quick. I'm two words. Everybody say abide. Thank you. Fruit. Okay. Those two words I want you to remember. We're going to focus in on. We're going to break down those two words for us in John chapter 15. Let's, let's catch it in context. Read it with me. I'm reading it out of the new King James version Bible. It says in John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servant. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you these things. I command you that you everybody read that last part with me, that you love one another. The the author of this um, here who records the words of Jesus. And if you're looking at a Bible that's red letter, you'll notice that this entire chapter is all in red letters. This is a a, a sermon that Jesus gave that John records. But I want to tell you a little bit about the author, John. Next week, we're going to start a series I'm super excited about. And we're going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. It should take us about um, 12 weeks to go through this next series. And I'm super excited about it. And to set it up, I wanted to just to find something that else that John wrote. So John wrote this, but what, what the gospel of John is, is, is John is 
not giving us his own thoughts. He's, he's recording what he witnessed Jesus saying and, and what he watched Jesus doing. And he's recording events and, and those types of things. And then we get to Revelation. And again, it's much the same. It's not so much John's opinion or John's um, commentary on the, the time that he spent with Jesus. It's him recording this revelation. And so if you know little about John, the, the pastor John, as I call him, the revelator, he was one of the 12 disciples. When he first started out and he first met Jesus, one of the first missionary trips Jesus took him on, they went to this little town and they were there and Jesus began to preach. And nobody received Jesus. Nobody received the word. Nobody um, changed. Jesus wrought no miracles there. It was, a, it was just not a um, successful day as far as ministry goes in that town. As they were leaving, John and his brother James say to Jesus, Hey, Let's call down fire from heaven and just turn them all into crispy critters, Jesus. They wouldn't receive you. Didn't you do that to Sodom and Gomorrah? And let's just do that. And that was John's heart. And Jesus, in jest and in joking, you know, because Jesus had a sense of humor, from that day he started calling John and his brother the sons of thunder because they wanted to call down fire from heaven to, to kill this, these people that wouldn't receive Jesus. And, and he goes from that to the end of his life, being the disciple of love who really didn't care about anything other than to telling you to love one another. Tradition tells us a story about the Apostle John, Pastor John, the Revelator. And, and, and whether you, we can confirm this or not, this doesn't come out of biblical writings. It's a historical story, but it's a good one. John, as we know, was the only disciple that died of old age. As, as John was, the rest were, were murdered and crucified upside down as Peter was, and all the disciples gave their life and kept their testimony unto death. History tells us, the story goes, that just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put into the fiery furnace, and they came out in the book of Daniel, and their clothes didn't smell of smoke, that John had a similar experience. And that John was dipped into a vat of oil, and, and, and oil will just melt your skin right off. And they pulled John out and that he was fine. And they realized that they, that they couldn't kill him and they exiled him. God wasn't done with him. They exiled John to the island of Patmos. That part's biblical. We know that they exiled John to the island of Patmos. That he spent time in Patmos where the Lord appeared to him. Jesus appeared to him and he wrote the book of Revelation. We know that. At the end of his life, it, it's, it's tradition that John returned to the mainland. Now, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, Billy Graham, Greg Laurie, you think of some of these big names and these, you know, important people you'd love to hear him preach or come and where you are. And so without a doubt, there would not have been a bigger icon in the Christian world at this time than John, the only living disciple of Jesus, the guy who wrote the gospel of John. He wrote first, second and third John. He wrote the book of Revelation, was transferred in the spirit to the future, to the actual place. And I witnessed some of the events that are yet future. And he's coming back and he'll be coming to our church today to preach to us. Like, that's where you guys could get excited, okay? That's where you could take them phases and throw them out the window. Like, that, that, that's good stuff. But the, so John would come and that's how everybody would feel like, oh my gosh, John is coming. What is he going to say? What's he going to, you know, how, I wonder how this message is going to go. And, and so John would come and tradition says that John would get up when he was introduced after this long flowing introduction and he would stand in front of the people and he would say to the people, my beloved, love one another. And he'd go sit down. And that was his message. And the fact that he kept it so simple and so true and so to the point made it so powerful 
Because there, there was nothing more he could elaborate or nothing more that he could, um, you know, improve upon what Jesus said. Jesus said, love one another. Can you imagine if, imagine if we lived in a world today. Now forget what people think, what you think what the, about the word of God. But let's just take the Ten Commandments. And what if today, as a people, we just lived by the Ten Commandments? Would it be a terrible world that we live in? Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't covet your neighbor's things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Don't commit adultery. Be true to who you're with. What what if we just followed those commandments? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Because if you do, things will go well with you. We would live in like one of those utopias you only see on TV. Where it's like this. We'd all have flowers in our hair like our Snapchat filters. And (laughs) that would be real life. If we just lived by the Ten Commandments. And so John, who understood the power of just what Jesus said, love one another. He just would say, love one another. So next week when we start our, 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 our study through 1 John, it's about the friend of Jesus. This is the guy who figured it out. He wasn't always this love doctor. He, he was really grumpy and angry for a long time and wanted to kill people. And, and eventually, through his relationship with Jesus, his heart changed. And he grew. And, and, and before it was over, John becomes what's called the beloved disciple. That's how, it's, how he's described in the scriptures. The friend of Jesus. The very best friend of Jesus is going to come and tell you and I next week in 1 John as we study through it what's important and, and how to have this friendship and this relationship with Jesus. And his message was simple. One of the things we're going to see as we get into um, John's epistles over and over and over and over again. Love one another. Love one another. You think you like read the same page twice. You're like checking your page numbers. You're like, no, that's a different page. But he's saying the same thing. Love one another, love one another. And so this apostle of love. So here in in John chapter 15, we'll we'll try to go through it here pretty quickly. I want to go through those 17 verses that I read and just kind of break them down with this in in mind, not, not forgetting that this particular chapter is about abiding in Christ. It's about this relationship that, that Jesus describes for you and I in order that we would bear fruit. So our two words are abide and fruit. All right, so let's, let's take a look at this really quick. It says, um, I am the true vine in verse 1, and my father is the vine dresser. You know I can't move forward before I move backwards, right? You guys know how I preach by now if you know me. So I missed it, but we can't really get into 15 until we, we go to back to 14. So look at 14 really quick. Sorry. Chapter 14, verse 31. The last five words of, of chapter 14 say what? Let, arise, let us go from here. So, so just to set it up quickly, when Jesus said, arise, let us go from here, where was he at? He was in the upper room. He had just celebrated the last Passover with his disciples. He instituted the Lord's Supper in John 13 and 14, right? He washed the disciples' feet. He, he girded himself after dinner and he washed the disciples' feet. He taught us about communion. He, he told the disciples he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. And after they had that last intimate dinner together, it says, let us arise and go from here. In John chapter 15, they would have traveled from the west on Mount Moriah down through the Kidron Valley in a very close proximity. If you're there, it's like two hills that look opposite each other with the valley in the middle. And depending on no matter where you are on one hill or the other, you can pretty much see everything. On, on, on the one hill, Mount Moriah is where the Dome of the Rock sits today, where the Temple of, of Solomon would have been in Jesus' day. 
just to the east, through the Kidron Valley, up the other side. Along the other side is where the Garden of Gethsemane would have been. Behind the temple and up on the hill to the west would be where the, the, the upper room was. So Jesus would have left the upper room. So they would have had the temple on the left and they would have been heading down the Kidron Valley up the other side to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and the, the, the temple that Solomon built was one of the wonders of the world. It was ginormous. It would dwarf the size of what the Dome of the Rock is today in the same location. And so as they passed it, there was a, um, a symbol on the doors of the temple of a grapevine. And so a grapevine, as you know, is a, is a symbolic, is a national symbol of Israel to this day. Where does the grapevine symbol come from? Anybody want to take a whack? From um, Caleb. I was drawing a blank myself. I'm like, I don't know. Where does it come? Somebody answers that question quick. Because I don't even know where it came from. No, I'm kidding. From Jacob. Not Jacob. I'm sorry. From Caleb and Joshua. The 12 spies, they were sent out, right? Remember, in, as it says, they came back, that they held a, a pole on the backs of the horses, that the, the cluster of grapes went from the backs of the horses to the ground to show that the land was flowing with milk and honey. Well, well from that, that passage in the Bible, that grape cluster has become a national symbol in Israel. You'll see it all over in Israel. It's a, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And so Jesus sees that grapevine, that grape cluster. They, they would have had, had it there. And as Jesus passes by it, Somewhere along his journey, he, he gives us John chapter 15. This is the last sermon that Jesus is going to give because from John 15, he's going to go and he's going to end in the Garden of Gethsemane. And shortly after, Judas is going to show up with the Romans and betray Jesus. And he's going to be led back down the Kidron Valley, up the other side where he just came from, where he's going to start a, a night of illegal trials where he'll be on the cross at nine the next morning. So this is hours away from Jesus dying on the cross. And this is the message he gives us. And he takes something that is, is really an analogy that, that I think is really simple to understand. And, and he gives it to us um, of a grape vine and a branch and a tree. And then he says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And so again, Jesus says in this context, you're already clean. So I, I want to tell you that he, he's not, this is not a... a a passage about salvation. This is not an issue. And when he says cut off and thrown into the fire, I don't personally believe this, this here, Jesus in the context is talking about heaven and hell in context. We're talking about abiding and about fruit. And, and he's talking to his disciples and he says to them, you're already clean. Now, now there, we, we need to have discussions about salvation and issues, but this particular issue is, is not, a salvation issue. It's a, it's for those who are already saved. You've already received the Lord Jesus. You've already admitted you're a sinner and you need saved and you need a savior and you've received the work on the cross of Jesus in your heart and life. And now you're walking it out. You're walking your Christianity out. You're, you're living it out and you're saved. And, and now Jesus wants to talk to you about next level stuff. He wants to talk to you about abiding, about walking with him. And what does it mean to be a Christian? And what is Christianity all about? It's about a relationship with Jesus. And it says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Somebody say nothing. Somebody say it like a pirate. Nothing. I can't do it. Um, 
Two, two branches here, two types. Real simple. One has fruit and the other doesn't. Okay? So what kind of branch do you want to be? The one with fruit or the one without? Pretty simple, right? And Jesus said the one that doesn't have fruit, he's going to cut it off and throw it into the fire because it's not good for anything. So we've established very quickly that the, the purpose for Jesus' disciples, and, and if you are, are a Christ follower and a disciple of Jesus, Jesus' will, God's will for your life, is that you are the type of branch that bears fruit. That's his will for your life. We can just establish that God wants you to bear fruit. So, so how do we as Christians then accomplish this? So Jesus gives an example, and he tells us the answer is to abide in him. Now, for the way my mind works because I, I, I probably grew up closer to some lemon trees than I did grapevines. But, but let, let's just change the analogy to a, to a lemon tree. A little simpler, same exact idea, so everything's the same. Okay, you have, you have the big tree, you have the stalk, right? And then off of the tree, right out of the, the tree, grows all the lemons, right? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Chuck, Chuck, Mindu, next issue. Lemons don't grow out of the side, right? What grows out of the side of the tree? Branches. You guys are alive and awake. Okay. Branches grow out of the tree. And then from the branches grow lemons, fruit. Okay. Leaves, fruit. So Jesus said, if you want to bear fruit for me, what you have to do is you have to abide. And he, and he said, if, if, if you take, so right, there's a connection somewhere, right? Something tells that tree as it's coming up in this spot right here, that a branch is going to break off. So as that branch breaks off of that tree, there's this relationship that happens between the branch and the tree that, that Jesus uses as an analogy here in John chapter 15 that he calls abide. And he says that that, that, that branch's job is to bear fruit. And if it doesn't bear fruit, he might as well cut it off and throw it in the fire because it's taking resources and it's good for nothing and it's supposed to bear fruit. But that, that, that relationship where the two come together, that's what I want for my disciples. I want you to abide in me. And if you abide in me, then naturally fruit is going to grow in your life. And so, you know, if you, take, if you take that branch and Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So the simple idea is for us as Christians, if we want to bear fruit, if we want to do good works, have good works, be good people, the, 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 the reality is, the truth is, the way we accomplish that is by staying close to Jesus, is by abiding in Jesus. So if we take a lemon, a branch... Let's take the healthiest branch on the whole tree, tons of lemons, and we chop that branch off and we stick it up here on the pulpit and we come back next week. Are we going to find more lemons? What are we going to find with the lemons that were on the branch? They're going to start to get black eventually and wither and we leave it there long enough and they're going to be disgusting because that branch is not going to bear any more fruit unless it does what? Abides in, in the tree, right? We can all go home now. You guys get it? That, that's, that's what John chapter 15 is, in, it basically is about. And so as a Christian, you know, we ask ourselves, so I ask myself, okay, that kind of begs the next question. How, how, do, how do I do that on a daily basis? Excuse me. How do I walk that out in my life? How do I abide in Christ according to what it says here? And, and we know that that happens through relationship. And so, you know, it, it is, it's just relationship with Jesus. One of, one of the practical things that we do, we have a saying here, you guys know it? Read your Bible and pray every day. That's a practical way that we, on a daily basis, we abide in Christ. I'm trying to decide if we're going to have time to go through. Um, let, let's, let's go to Matthew chapter 17 really quickly. 
we're going to try to get through uh, this next section. It, and, and it talks about, again, we're talking about in the context of abiding and having relationship with Jesus. And, and I think this adds some pretty valuable commentary to this part right now about abiding in Christ. It says in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 17, And when a boy had come to the multitude and came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. He is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he has often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So faithless and perverse is the context in verse 17. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, No! Why couldn't we cast it out, Jesus? So Jesus said to them, Because of your, really important, I want you to underline in verse 20, Un, that word un is something we're looking for, unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Somebody say amen. Amen. However, this kid does not go, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So we get this story that we're probably familiar with where Jesus comes and his disciples try to cast out a demon and it doesn't work. The, the, the father brings the boy to Jesus and, 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 and Jesus says, you perverse and, and, and what, what are the words? Faithless and perverse generation. How long must I bear with you? Like, you don't get it. And then he goes and he chastises him a little bit. He casts the demon out. The disciples come to him and say, Jesus, what did we do wrong? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Now, immediately we think that Jesus is giving some kind of rite of exorcism, how you cast out demons. Like he's going to give him a lesson in a minute on how you sprinkle the holy water and make the sign of the cross and where you hit them on their forehead to cast the demon out of them. But, but that's not what Jesus is doing here. And that's not in the context of what he's doing. And now, yeah, of course, if you're going to do spiritual battle, it's always wise to be prayed up and fasted. Can't go wrong. Fast and pray, it it brings closeness. But what Jesus is really dealing with in the life of the believer, in you and I, in our abide, is is this disconnect with the world and a connection with God. He's dealing with disciples who are kind of caught up in the cares of this world, who are not um, abiding in such a way that that the power of the Holy Spirit is just naturally going to come upon them to to cast out this demon when when called upon. You know, we, we always say be prayed up. You ever heard that term in church? You need to be prayed up. You know, the reason is my, my brother committed suicide when I was in Bible college. In front of his wife and kids, he put his gun in his mouth, said to his wife, this is what you're making me do. Put his gun in his mouth and, and blew the top of his head off. Um, that morning when I woke up, I, I, I didn't know that was going to be a hard day. And, you know, it would have been nice had I had some time and spent some time alone that day to spend some time with Jesus and get plugged in and kind of get prayed up and, and, and be prepared for what was going to happen that day. When I, when I got the call and, and when I got there, I didn't have time to stop and, and, and go and, and open the word a little bit and, and, and maybe see if God wanted to give me some, some scripture or something that would help me that day or, or work with me. And I didn't have time. It was on. 
So that's the idea of being prayed up. You don't know what each day is going to bring. So there's this idea as we live our lives that we, we want to stay in abide, this abiding place where, where we, we're, we're prayed up through the day. We take that, that pull out in the morning and we spend some time. And that's what Jesus was dealing with us as disciples. And, and not, again, a rite of exorcism. He's dealing with this connection that, that we should have through this abide. That as we do that naturally, the power of God flows in our lives. Amen? Amen. All right, I think we're going to... All right, real quick, quickly. Go to, go to, um, back up a couple pages, Matthew 13. And, and again, on this same kind of um, connection, are you guys lost on the Matthew 17 deal? Or are we good? On the, on the faithless and perverse generation, on, on this kind of, this, this lifestyle that connects with Jesus, right? Okay, so in Matthew 13, we have the parable of the sower. I think famous parable that Jesus teaches on, again, the same idea of unfruitfulness. We looked in the last um, chapter example in Matthew 17 of unfaithfulness. Okay, now we're going to see unfruitful. Does Jesus want you to be fruitful or unfruitful? Fruitful. So when I see this term unfruitful, and antennas go up, and I say, okay, let's, let's check this out. How can I avoid unfruitfulness and so I can be fruitful? So let's take a lesson on how um, not to be or how to avoid unfruitfulness. So basically, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you the story rather than read it. You guys can read it for yourself just because we're going to try to get you guys out of here by a certain time. Um, Jesus tells a story about a, about a sower. And a sower is somebody who has seeds and he's in a field and he's throwing handfuls of seeds out that are into this area where he's hoping to grow some fruit. And so as he throws seeds out, the seeds have different, um, you know, there's a, different, there's a different result for each of the seeds that come out. The first kind of seed, it lands right on the cart path, on the, on the, on the hard, rocky, just cart path where it just lands there. It's sitting on top of the concrete or, you know, the rock, and it's, it's not going anywhere. And the birds come, and the birds begin to eat those seeds. The second type of seed, it lands next to the cart path where it's, it's rocky, but yet there's some dirt and it springs up really fast, but it doesn't have any root. And, and eventually it just dries up and it doesn't bear any fruit because it has no root in it. The third kind, it, it, it begins to take root and it, and it grows up, but it has um, the cares of this world choke out its fruitfulness. So that third type of seed, it, it, it starts well and then... Things happen into the, to the, the, the little sprout that comes up, and it, it doesn't bear fruit. The fourth kind, the kind that we all want to be, is the one that lands on the fertile soil. It gets root, it grows up, and it produces fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold, Jesus said. So he, he explains this parable to his disciples, and he said that the solution to the parable is that the seed represents the Word of God. And so the Word of God is... is, is like today, we're, we're sowing the Word of God. We're giving you the Word of God. And, and as we give you the Word of God, every person in the world somehow will fit into one of these four categories that Jesus explained here in Matthew chapter 13. So when you heard the Word and when someone gave the Word, you, you're, you're one of those four soils. The one that, um, that talks about unfruitfulness, and I think the one that probably applies to most of our lives today, is the third one. And the third one... Begins in verse number 22 of Matthew 13. 
And it says, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and he becomes unfruitful. And so that one is grown up among the thorns. You know, for us in our lives, again, what God desires from you is just twofold. Separation from the world and connection to God. So if we, we fast, we did a 21-day fast here, me and some of the men did. And it was so, uh, we, spiritually, we grew so much. We, we, it was just life-changing. There was just something about it. And the idea of a fast and a fast that the Bible calls for, the, the purpose of a fast is to deny your flesh. So you get hungry and you want to feed your flesh and, and yet you deny your flesh and then you take that energy, you take that time and you pray, you read the word, you do something that's, you know, sowing seeds unto the Lord. You deny the flesh and you feed the spirit. You make a disconnect from the world and a connection to God. If you wanted to fast to, to, to get close to God and, and, and seek God and all you did was just not eat, at the end of the fast, all you're going to be is hungry. No, no. If you didn't make that extra time to connect with the Lord during that fast, you're going to be hungry. So, so in this abiding, I'm taking a lot of time, you guys. I know I'm really hammering this one out. I'm really hammering this nail on the, the idea of abiding is that we disconnect from the world and we connect to Jesus. We connect to God. Okay. Illustrated in, in, in the, the demon who was cast out. And then here in the parable of the sower. This particular case, the parable of the sower, we have this seed and the cares of this world choke it out. So you and I, we want to please God. We want to do what's right. We want to give. We want to give to Malawi and go to Malawi or do things and serve Lord and widows and orphans and, and go and, and, and do wonderful things. But man, we can't hardly pay our own bills. We don't even know how we're going to make next month's payments. And so we have all these cares of the world that begin to choke out fruitfulness. Or, or even worse than that, sometimes is the, the deceitfulness, as Jesus said here, the deceitfulness of riches. I'll tell you a story. In 2007, um, you guys know the economy was booming. Everything was well. 2006, 2007, everybody I knew was working, was making a ton of money. I bought a house. Lydia and I bought our second house in 2007. But thankfully, it was the peak of the market when we bought that house. We paid like 240 for it. In 2007, in 2009, it was worth 130,000. But thankfully, we, uh, we, we made money on another house we sold at the same time. And then during that time, everybody was making money. And God was blessing and people were doing well. And he, there was a particular brother that I, that I knew, a friend of mine. And um, man, he could now afford a boat that he always wanted. And he bought a boat. And then he went and bought two jet skis to go with his boat. And then he bought a motor home to go with his, his setup so that when they went to the river, they'd, they'd have a place to stay. And um, started spending a lot of weekends at the river to use these things that God had given him. And, um, you know, nothing wrong with buying a boat or jet skis or, or going to the river or motor home or none of those things. And, and tell, until our lifestyles and our decisions start to choke out our fruitfulness. Until those things become idols only when we put them before our relationship with God. But for this particular brother, a good brother, you, you could just see where, where the cares of this world just started to choke him out. And this connection to Jesus and this abiding in Christ in his life just wasn't ongoing. More and more and more time at the river. Less time away from, from church. Then it's a Sunday. They're out on the river. He's driving his fancy speedboat and a jet ski. Somebody's drunk on a jet ski that he doesn't know turns in front of his boat. He hits the jet ski, goes over the top of him, and his prop takes the guy's head off. 
Back in church the next Sunday, life's devastated, world's a mess, and you know that, that that's just how how we go. And you know what? It was a total accident. No no charges where he wasn't drunk. He was, you know, he hadn't been drinking. It was the other, it was the other guy's fault. It was an accident. It was a terrible thing. the The point is in all of that is just that when 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 the cares of this world choke out our fruitfulness, and it can happen to us. That's, that's the area that Jesus talked about that, that, that I think most affects our abide and most affects our ability just to stay close. And, and again, I think it's cool to have, have some toys and, and do them. Keep it in perspective. Keep Jesus first in your life, and those things are cool. Amen? All right, let's go back to John and, and, and try to fi- finish up 15, at least first 17 verses. In verse 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Somebody say, Amen. You guys still asleep? Jesus just told you that whatever you ask, it'll be done for you. Show me the money. (laughs) Is that what he's talking about? Who knows? Maybe. But he says, and you know, we complicate these things. We complicate these promises of God and we explain them away. And, and yeah, there, there's, there's good reason for, for, for some of that. But let's today, let's just take this one at face value. And, and Jesus says here that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Because I want to tell you, God desires to bless your life. Do you believe that? I think one of the hardest struggles for me personally as a young person who, who met Jesus in eighth grade and then didn't walk with Jesus through high school because I... I wish I could have those years back. I know my life would be completely different today, but I threw away five years between junior high and high school and, and getting saved at 20 years old because when I got to my freshman year, being a Christian and being a part of the Christian club was, you know, social suicide. And, and, and what I wouldn't give to have those years back. But for me, the biggest um, struggle in, in wanting and serving God was I didn't believe that, that Jesus, that God wanted what was good for me, that I had to like leave him on the side to go get good stuff, to go find blessing, to go have fun. Man, those, those years were miserable. I ended up a drug addict and miserable and destroyed life and no joy and no peace. And man, when I gave my life to Jesus at 20 years old, I finally learned what it was like to party. I finally learned what it was like to have fun and to have joy and have life and all the things that I was afraid of and that I hid Jesus for. And I'm going to tell you just according to this verse that Jesus does want what's good for you. You know, you take the promises of Jesus at face value. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Jesus said, he who lives and believes in me out of his heart will flow torrents of living water. How many of us have torrents of living water flowing out of our life? That's God's will for you. That's God's promise. He says, I'll provide all of your needs in Christ Jesus. That the Lord Jesus, he loves you and he does want good for you. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. And then it says in verse 8, But by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father loved Jesus. How much do you think the Father loves Jesus? That's the kind of love that Jesus has for you. As the Father loved me, and not only with the the amount, but the same um, exercise of that love, the same application of that love. As, As the Father loved me, in a working way, I've loved you the same. I've treated you the same. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. Somebody say joy. Hey, you guys, we're almost done, so stay with me, okay? Give me like five more, three more minutes. Preach A preacher three more minutes and we'll be done, I promise. Somebody say joy. 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 Hey, Jesus is really concerned about your joy. He, he really is interested in your joy and my joy. And it's one of the things that blesses me about the heart of Jesus so much. It's like he's getting ready to die on a cross. This, this, Jesus is hours, literally hours away from the cat of nine tails. He's hours away from them putting a bag on his head and punching him in the face, ripping his beard off and spitting in his face, whipping him across the back 39 times with a flagellum. And yet, he's, he's, he's concerned about his disciples' joy. He's interested that they have joy and they have peace and that they find joy in him. And, and Jesus' heart for you is, is that joy. The Bible says in Nehemiah 8.10 that the, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's so cool about Jesus, that he cares about your joy. And then in verse 12, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Only coming from Jesus would that sentence be okay, right? What if you guys came over to my house and I said, you guys want to be my friends? You do whatever I command you and we'll be good friends. I told my wife that when we first got married. I said, just do whatever I say and we'll, we'll get along well. It didn't work so well. Thankfully, I only got one black eye that day. But um, the, the reality is, you know, I tell my kids, the reality of love is love is obedience. Love is, um, you know, we could say we love Jesus, we love God, and it's lip service because Jesus really gets rid of all the fluff here and all the, he just, he just lays it out. The reality is, the truth is, if you love Jesus, you, you naturally will want to obey and do what he says and command his commandments, his love. And, and it gets away with the fluff. You know, one of the things that, I used to, I had a friend, try not to name any names, long, 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 long time ago. And, and, and we would pray. And this person would say, oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus, Jesus. I love you, love you, Jesus. Which is great. Until I watched the way that this friend lived their life. And he loved Jesus. How kinds of, bleh. Just not a good person, really. Just, but yet, I'm like. I don't, you know, if you want to stand there and raise your hands in every prayer and wail about how much you love Jesus, then your life should reflect that. Because the reality is, if you love Jesus, then then you're going to do what he says is what the word of God says. I think it's important that we tell Jesus we love him in our prayers. But, you know, like I, t- I use this on my kids sometimes and, you know, uh, when they get in trouble or when things happen and I try to help them understand, son, oh, I love you, dad. I said, well, if you love me. Then, then you'll do what I ask you to do, or you'll do, there, there, there's a cost to it. There's an effect to it. And Jesus says here that just, you know, and again, it's not, it's not a thumb on you and a power thing. It's, it's just the reality that if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you're naturally going to want to do what Jesus wants you to do. You're naturally going to follow his commandments, and there will be evidence of it, and there will be fruit of it. So you really want to show somebody you love Jesus? Don't show up at our prayer meeting and say, Oh, I love you, Jesus! Live your life in such a way that bears fruit and that, that loves Jesus, and you won't have to do that. In verse 15, it says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. 
For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Remember that. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. You're still with me. Thank you. And that your fruit should remain. And that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he, w- he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. You know, Jesus says here in verse 16 at the end of it. Check it out really quick. We're going to close with this. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Do you guys remember King Solomon? King Solomon, God shows up. You can read about it in, in the Old Testament. Kings, several places, the stories, the stories recorded in the Old Testament. God shows up to Solomon and he gives him a God blank check. He says, Solomon, it's a genie in a bottle. God's not a genie though, don't trip. But God shows up and he says to Solomon, he says, Solomon, anything you ask, I will grant to you. What an amazing, like, opportunity. You know, I've had this happen to me like 57 times. I'm usually like in the shower or I'm somewhere and I'm praying or I'm thinking and I'm going, Lord, you're standing right here. You're, giving, you're, you're asking me right? anything I want, I can have it, right, Lord? And then I, and I what, what, what would be the answer? What would I say? What would, what would I say if I had a Solomon moment today? Solomon said, Lord, I, I ask that you give me wisdom. And the Lord said to Solomon, good answer. Because you asked for wisdom, not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you money and popularity. I'm going to give you riches and honor that you didn't ask for. Because you didn't ask for those things, I'm also going to give you them and wisdom. And Solomon, as we know, he's the wisest man that ever lived. And so in the New Testament, what what, what would be the New Testament equivalent to Solomon nailing it and getting it right? And when God shows up with this blank check, and this happens to me. I don't know about you guys, but God shows up all the time. And I know it's only in my mind, but I'm wishful, wishful thinking, like, Lord. But, I, but I'm like, if God did show up, and as, as he did to Solomon, he said, Chris, I, 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 what do you want? I'll do it for you. Man, you wouldn't want to blow it. You'd hate for the Lord to say, you know, eh, wrong answer. So you want to get it right, you know. And, and, but really, honestly, I think that the, the New Testament equivalent to what Solomon said and, and what I would say to the Lord is, 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 Lord, I want to love you with all my heart, mind, and soul. And I want to love my neighbor as myself because that's the greatest commandment. That's what Jesus taught. That's what everything is born out of. It is this love for God, this relationship with Jesus, that that would be tight and that we would abide in him. And then naturally our lives would bear fruit. Naturally, we would, we would be good people. We would bear fruit. We would have um, ministries and opportunities and we would be serving Jesus and we'd have something to offer to him. And so, Lord, I want to love you. I want to love you with all my heart, mind, and soul. And I want to love my neighbor as myself. Amen? Let's stand. You know, the, um, there's two, two kings in the Old Testament. The interesting thing, one of them's name is Hezekiah and the other one is Amaziah. The interesting thing about Hezekiah and Amaziah is that the Bible records the, the same thing about both of them. It says that they, they did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And, and many of the kings of Israel, as you know, they didn't do what was right in the sight of the Lord, but these two guys did. But there was one difference between Hezekiah and Amaziah. And the Bible says that, that Hezekiah, he tore down all of the high places in his life. He tore down all the idols of Baal worship. 
And Amaziah, who, who had a relationship with God and served God, he, he let those high places remain in his life. The New Testament, talking about those same high places for you and I, it says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnare us. So, so we may be in a position where we love Jesus, we want to serve him, but Paul, as he's talking to the Hebrews, understands that maybe there's something in your life. There's a weight, there's a sin. There's some, something that holds you back that you just quite won't break down or get rid of in your life. I want to challenge you today. I want to encourage you today to, to lay aside that weight and that sin which so easily ensnares you. And that's just a matter of you confessing it before the Lord, making it right, talking to Jesus, telling him that you're sorry, asking for his forgiveness, asking for his strength to, to, to lay those things down, and then walking in that forgiveness, walking in that victory that Jesus gave you. Because I promise you that, that that's according to his will, and he'll give you the victory over that in your life this morning, whatever it is. But then as you walk out those doors, don't pick it back up again and walk in that victory. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for you guys. We're going to close in a song. Um, if you'd like to stick around, this last song is just, again, we want, we want you to take advantage of this time just to connect with the Lord and spend some time in prayer. Uh, we'll be up front to pray for you. If anybody would like individual prayer, please come up and uh, we'll pray for you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. And Lord God, we pray, Father, that, that your spirit would minister in each one of our hearts and lives as only you can do. Lord, that you would help us lay, lay aside any weights and the sins which so easily ensnare us. Jesus, I pray if there's anybody here today that needs to get their lives, their hearts right with you, repent of sin or ask Jesus in their heart for the first time, that Jesus this morning, right now, that, that they would open their heart and life to you and just simply speak to you and say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and Savior. I confess that I'm a sinner who is in need of a Redeemer and a Savior. And Jesus, I ask you to save me. Fill me with your Spirit. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.